It's called, We'll Understand It Better By and By. You know, as I get ready to sing this song, I, what happened 50 years ago, 70, uh, 80, 100 years ago, we didn't understand things, why the lynchings occurred and why things went on. We didn't understand things, but by and by, we'll understand things better. Amen. This song goes like this. <clears throat> we are often tossed and driven on the restless sea of time. Somber skies and howling tempted off succeed a bright sunshine in that land of perfect day when the mist have rolled away we will understand it better by and by lord it's by and by lord when the morning comes when all the saints are God the gathering home we will tell the story of how we overcome and we'll understand it better by and by we are often destitute of the things that life demands want of food and want of shelter hi welcome back to today's mountain talk i'm katie myers and today we're going out into the field to floyd county kentucky this past Memorial Day, a community gathered at a neglected African-American cemetery to tend to the grounds and resurface the stories of those laid to rest. In our region, active cemeteries are kept clean and decorated multiple times a year. The grass and wilderness cut back by dedicated family members or groundskeepers. But not every graveyard gets that kind of love. Some long-abandoned mountain burial grounds have been reclaimed by the forest. These hidden and sometimes forgotten graveyards hold buried histories too. Histories of strength and courage by black communities, but also painful histories of racial violence. There's a movement in the coal fields to uncover black histories that have long been hidden and forgotten and pushed aside. In Floyd County, a coalition called the Eastern Kentucky Remembrance Project brought community members together this past Memorial Day to bring these buried histories to light. During the day, volunteers gathered to physically uncover a forgotten black cemetery in Wayland, an old coal camp town nestled deep in Floyd County's tight green hills. I was there waving a microphone around while community members did the much harder work of hauling brush and chopping down overgrown trees. We laughed and joked about some things, told some wild stories, and asked the important questions. I heard that the liquor store was the jail. Yeah, the one, the little like old section on the left side. Yeah, that's the jail. And now it's been turned into a liquor store. Is it also true that a man won Wayland in a game of poker? Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I don't know if that's true or not. For one day. He won Wayland the poker game. For one, for a single day. It's not light work though, physically or spiritually. History lies heavy in the air as we painstakingly, literally clear the names of the people who were buried there. Quickly, before we go any further, a content warning. In this story, we discuss an incident of racial violence, a lynching. 
The details may be hard to stomach. Before the workday, speakers gathered on the porch of the Wayland Community Center to cook out and share stories. Here's Tiffany Payette, a volunteer organizer for the project. I believe it was 1928. Um, Frederick Kid Shannon was lynched um, right across from the building we're in now. He had uh, been brought to jail and was pulled out of that jail and shot. And I think, um, I think a lot of what resonates with me about the story is not what led up to him being in that jail. It's that, um, that a community took part in the killing of a man. And I think that um, what's important about like reckoning with that is being a community and acknowledging that it was it was a multi-part event um, that took part in like not acknowledging this man's humanity and um, I think it will always hit me that you know he was just 28 years old and he had interests and and a life. Wayland, Kentucky, was a coal town. In the mines, black coal miners worked alongside white coal miners, but that didn't make the town free from racist violence. Shannon was shot 18 times after a mob of 200 pulled him from the Wayland jail. He died en route to a Prestonsburg hospital. I'm of the belief that you can't have reconciliation without truth and that our communities deserve complete truth-telling um, in order to have reconciliation and in order to have healing. I don't think you can heal something that you ignore and you can't acknowledge, you can't fully acknowledge the paths and the pain that has taken place in a place if, if you're just talking about the here and now, if you're not talking about how we've gotten here and um, and the harms that have taken place. Like harm has to be named in order for us to really um, tend to that wound. I think that people should know that a remembrance project is, is something that's it's a lot of things. It's not gonna just start at a historical marker. That's gonna be where we end up at some point. But we felt like um, what made sense was to start with care and love for the black members of our communities that may not have been um, embraced. So that's why we're tending to graves. Um, that's why we're being in community and acknowledging the different pieces of history and like up uplifting different pieces of history because that's, that's a path to, to acknowledgement and to healing. And, and I think that it's important that people know that they can be a part of that and that things that could be and, and are shameful about our community's histories, um, the acknowledgement of them is also an opportunity to be a part of 
like a really beautiful thing in our community's future. Last year, one of the people who came, I remember that they were they were from the community and they were um, up he, upstairs here. They were telling me a story about um, their family's experience of knowing that the lynching happened. And they weren't, at the time, like their family hadn't been super concerned with why it happened, but they knew that like the town was dark that night. Um, the power was out for some reason. And like everybody had these like really distinct memories of like, oh yeah, when, when he was killed, like this happened and like this is what it was like. They remembered the day, but everybody was like, but we don't know who did it. And um, I think people find ways to feel removed from murder, but also very much a part of it. Um, and like in a small town community, like it can be really hard to like hold all of that in one place. Um, and I think even with the grave tending, it has been hard for some community members to like balance like what it means to have enslaved people in your community. What does that actually say? And like, what does it say that their graves weren't tended? And like, you know, I think, I think it's, it's really layered because people want to be connected to the history and they want to talk about it. And I almost, um, because it's an exciting story but when you like get down to like, this is a person, they had family, what was that like for them? Um, it reframes it and uh, becomes a lot, a lot more difficult to tell the story. Then we heard from Reverend Steve Peake, a pastor in Neon, another former coal camp town. He believes this historical documentation work is essential for racial reconciliation in eastern Kentucky. There's a black cemetery on the mountain, and it's one of those forgotten cemeteries, and uh, a, lady, a lady friend of ours asked me if I'd come over. They were going to have some uh, singing and uh, some music, and uh, they were going to go up and decorate the graves, so I came over uh, to just be a part of it. And I never knew any black people that lived in Whiteland. And I understood that there was one lynching in this town uh, years ago, uh, probably the early 1900s. But I wasn't aware of that. But anyway, I just came to be a part of this uh, program. Well, I think it's important because it helps. Uh, it's, it's part of a healing process. It helps to heal. Uh, like I said, I, I didn't know anything about the lynching over here in Wayland. I didn't know of any black families that lived here, but to think that a small town would take time out of their busy schedule and uh, host something like this, I think that speaks volumes for uh, small towns. Uh, the thought she had when she go by a cemetery and think about the people that are there and I'm, too, one of those in my little town, Fleming, out of the cemetery. I'll just tell, share this quick story with you how that uh, in Fleming, up from our church on the hillside, 
it's a cemetery. It's a it was a as a quote a colored cemetery, and uh, the cemetery was donated by Letcher County. But this is the way it came to happen. There was a carnival that came to town uh, years ago, and there was a black gentleman with the carnival. Don't know where he was from, don't know anything about him. But what happened to this guy doing the carnival at Fleming Neon, he wolf whistled at a white girl, and the men took offense to that, and they killed that man and had no place to bury him, nowhere to send him. So the city gave, or the county gave this little hillside uh, to the coloreds to uh, have as a cemetery. And that man was the first person that was buried on that cemetery. So, you know, things happen. But I thank the Lord that we are able to keep our little cemetery open and keep it cleaned up. John Rosenberg is a retired lawyer at Apple Red Legal Aid and a Holocaust survivor. He worked with Kentuckians for the Commonwealth to bring the coalition together. At the gathering on Memorial Day, Rosenberg addressed the crowd. The East Kentucky Community Remembrance Project exists to reckon with our local history of racial lynchings and encourage learning and action for racial justice by hosting community conversations and cultural events researching and memorializing incidents of racial lynchings and engaging diverse people to work together to build inclusive and just communities. We often don't remember the indigenous folks who were in this area before and the importance of including them when we're thinking about racial and social justice. Uh, my wife, Jean, and I visited the Equal Justice Institute in Montgomery uh, a little over probably three years ago in the uh, Museum of Peace and Justice there and the memorial to the folks who were lynched in all of the states in this country, including here, and the Kid Shannon lynching here in Floyd County. And when we came back and we had some conversations with members of KFTC, uh, to, and discuss that history and the importance of trying to look at the future and realizing that you really can't think about a good future in which there is racial and social justice unless you confront the past. And so we've been, the, the, um, the, the little more I learn about Kent Shannon, the more uh, important I think it is because uh, his name was Fred Shannon, and according, uh, recently we finally got some pages of Barbara Ford Rich's history, and it turns out she puts a little, uh, gives us a little better understanding of who Kid Shannon was. He was a young man in his 20s. He was missing one hand, and he was a well-known local troubadour. He went from house to house singing and had lived in Wayland for apparently for some time. And, um, and was, according to that history, well-loved in the community. We don't know where he's buried. Maybe one day we can find that out. But I was, that was an interesting part to me. 
and uh, briefly the story that we have that we've read about in the past has that uh, Shannon got into an argument with a fellow named Hitchcock who gave him ostensibly five dollars to buy some moonshine and that uh, that uh, Shannon came back without the moonshine or the five dollars and then a, they got into a fight and uh, the next thing anybody knew, there were three gunshot wounds and this fellow Hitchcock had been shot and was down. And according to those that early write-up, Shannon ran off and he was eventually found and arrested by the local town marshal, Vern Castle, who took him to the local jail, which is across the street, as, as we all know. Um, according to those reports, later in the day that evening, a mob, uh, a mob came together and e then either cut the wire or turned off the power when it got dark. And then Castle said that he had mislaid the key to the jail. And uh, the mob then took him and put him in an office, locked him up, and uh, the mob then without the key, with sledgehammers, broke into the jail and brought Shannon out and um, brought him in, into the open area. And one of the reports said they gave him 30 minutes to pray and then they shot him at least 18 times. And he was uh, then put on the, and he, according, in Castle, who somehow got out of the office and the local magistrate picked him up and uh, were able to put him on the train along with the fellow who was shot, Hitchcock, and uh, they were going to take him to Martin to the community hospital, and he died. In fact, both of them died on the train. Um, the Riches report of this particular incident is a little different. And in fact, says that, um, that there were a group of white coal miners who were gambling and that Shannon was with them and and, uh, and that the next morning the fellow who won all the money was found dead and they somebody finger pointed at Shannon as uh, a scapegoat and that that was the reason and that he was then arrested and the rest of the story is pretty much the same but I think that there's been a lot of there is speculation about whether he really was the person who shot Mr. Hitchcock or how that incident came about. In any event, we know that he was lynched. We, according to the Equal Justice Institute, lynching includes shootings of this sort. It's just not necessarily a hanging. But um, it's been interesting to read this later report and put a little uh, put a little personality on this young man who uh, never was tried, obviously. And in that report, I wish Jerry Fultz was here. I didn't know that, but there are, there actually mentions a couple of other hangings that took place during that period. One of which was reported by Jerry. A young white woman had been raped and they found someone, they, could, they found a black local citizen who was then hanged.
but uh, that's basically where we are. I think it is a terrible history here. We know that, and we've identified that there are lynchings that grew out of Perry County and Pike County, and the one that was back and forth between Pike County and Williamson, West Virginia, and um, Breathitt County. So this is an important project for us, I think, and the more we can discuss this as a community, and uh, congratulations to Bev May for really getting us started on as a service project to have us go up to the cemetery to try to clean it up and make it livable where we've identified these enslaved people who are buried there. Um, they were slaves to one of the Martin brothers, the town of Martin being named for one of them. And that's, um, and I've learned since then, there's apparently a second black cemetery also in the area. So uh, there's much more to learn about the racial history, not only in Wayland, but of Eastern Kentucky and want to highlight the work that Emily Hudson's doing in trying to get this museum started in Perry County because it is an important history. We know that there are other black communities here, but many of the families who have moved on and we would like in time to learn more about the folks who have been buried in this cemetery and in other cemeteries around. So thank you very much. Glad, you, glad that we could all be here together. Emily Jones Hudson is the founder and executive director of the Southeast Kentucky African American Museum and Cultural Center in Hazard. Her organization is dedicated to preserving and documenting histories of black people in eastern Kentucky. Again, what was his story? I mean, every life is value. Um, you know, what was his dreams? What was his aspirations? And, you know, what, you know all of those kind of questions. Um, but the, the, these, these kind of events kind of help um, us remember uh, what took place. And um, there's a, you know, reconciliation that needs to take place. There's a healing that needs to take, take place. Uh, but bringing these uh, things to light um, is so important. It, it kind of... Um, brings a, uh, what's the word, uh, um, I don't want to say a chill to you, but, um, well, this, this was um, the second project mm -hmm. that uh, with the Southeast Kentucky African American Museum and Cultural Center um, is also working on a cemetery project called um, History Speaks from the Grave, and, um, and uh, we're, we're going into the um, cemeteries in Perry County, uh, Leslie County, Breathitt County, Knott County, and Letcher County. Now, uh, Floyd County is another county over, uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we're not here to, 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 to also work in this uh, community. Um, we got to start here and stretch out. But, um, this uh, project, History Speaks from the Grave, and this is, this is what I wrote down this morning, the thoughts that came to my mind. Whenever I walk or drive through a cemetery, I think of the names written on the headstones. The names on some, head, some headstones are unreadable, faded away and forgotten. Each headstone represents a life that was lived. And I ask the questions, who was this person? 
Is this community their home community? Or were they transplanted here? And if so, what brought them here? What were their hopes and dreams, their inspirations, their fears? What did they do for a living? What challenges did they face? What was their family life like? Each gravesite holds more than the remains of a body, but holds a story often left untold. Through the History Speaks from the Grave Project, we hope to recover and retell some of these stories. But when I walk or drive through these sacred places, it is almost if I can hear their voices whispering, tell them I was here. That's all for today's Mountain Talk. You heard from Reverend Steve Peak, Emily Jones Hudson, Tiffany Pyatt, and John Rosenberg, all members of the coalition called the Eastern Kentucky Remembrance Project. You also heard some gospel from Reverend Peak. We talked with them about remembering Black history, uncovering old graveyards, and what racial reconciliation means in rural majority white towns like Wayland. Throughout the year, the Eastern Kentucky Remembrance Project holds events to commemorate the region's Black history. Look out for more via the Big Sandy chapter of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth and the Southeast Kentucky African American Museum and Cultural Center. If you liked this episode, you can subscribe to Mountain Talk as a podcast or stream it online through SoundCloud. I've been your host, Katie Myers, here on Mountain Community Radio. From all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening. And we wonder why the test when we try to do our best but we'll understand it better by and by lord it's by and by lord when the morning comes when all the saints of god the gathering home we will Tell a story of how we overcome And we'll understand it better by and by And what a story we have to tell, amen.